Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Who are you? Let me just ask you that again. Who are you? of a good relationship with intentions and goals is keeping in mind that the primary aim of setting and working towards those goals is to feel the way you want to feel. The external things we want to have and do and experience, those are your secondary goals, all of which will get you back to the whole cosmic point, experiencing your core desired feelings.
the diamond of it all. Knowing how you actually want to feel is the most potent form of clarity that you can have. And generating those feelings is the most powerfully creative thing that you can do with your life. It is your birthright to have your desires fulfilled. Every desire is a prayer. Desire is the underpinning of manifestation. Yeah, maybe a little too busy at times. (laughs) 
It's just the climate. It's the climate. There's something, even if you seem to have little to do, your mind is always engaged. So it just feels like you're always busy. But when you can actually be physically doing things that are helping humanity in another way, to me I call that fortune. So there's a difference between being busy, right, and being fortunate. That's a nice way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Whenever people ask me, how are you, Sister Jenna? I go, fortunate. (laughs) <laughs> because I know exactly what I'm going through. All right, so let's talk about you. Um, you are renowned. You're a renowned neurologist and a leader in the field of medicine and ethics. How did you become so passionate about empathy, especially for animals and animal welfare, taking into consideration your background in, in medicine? Sure. It actually, that empathy next that connection with animals started when I was a child, and that's part of the inspiration of this new book, and it's a story I, I weave throughout the book. When I was five years old, I was being sexually abused by an uncle, and that continued mm-hmm. for five years. During that time, I never told anyone what he was doing to me. But then when I was nine years old, my grandparents who lived next door adopted a dog named Sylvester, who was the first animal I had ever known, and he was just the love of my life. We just loved each other. Unfortunately, Sylvester, I found out Sylvester was being abused by another uncle. He was being slammed against the walls. He would punch Sylvester and kick him. Like with my own abuse, I remained quiet about Sylvester for a long time. But the the thing was is that at some level, I was I was even more upset about Sylvester's abuse than mine because as vulnerable as I was, Sylvester was mm-hmm. even more powerless. And I think at some level I understood that our fight, our fights were the same. My fight was Sylvester's fight. And what happened was eventually I got the courage. My empathy and my love for Sylvester gave me the courage to speak out and end his abuse. And that led me to having the courage to speak out and end my abuse. And so this strong bond, this strong love I had for Sylvester profoundly changed my life for the better. And uh, since then, I've always had animals in my life. I love animals. And today, Mm -hmm. as a neurologist, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, where did that bond with animals come from? Where did that empathy for animals come from? And how does it affect all of us, not just as individuals, but as a society? So that was the inspiration behind my book. Wow, what a powerful story. Now, in terms of, I know our culture as Indian cultures, we tend to be very... Uh, what's the word, protective or guarded in terms of sometimes shame, you know, shame that happens in our family. How did your family handle uh, your coming out and telling them, you know, mom and dad, this is what uncle did? Yeah, actually, um, so my family's from Pakistan, and uh, but I think mm-hmm. there's a similar similar issue. Yeah. It was... <laughs> It was not a fun conversation to have, let me tell you that. Um, and it was difficult sure. because, you know, parents, they grew up, my parents grew up thinking that the greatest threat, like so many people I think in some ways, were strangers, not family members, not friends, not the people we trusted. And childhood sexual abuse is especially a taboo subject, even more so in certain cultures like Pakistani culture, like Indian culture, even more so than it is in the Western world. So it was it was a difficult transition. 
they've accepted it. They understood now what what went wrong um, and um, where they they failed to recognize what was happening. Um, and we've been able to move beyond that. But it it, it was a, a cultural awakening for my parents. I bet it was. I bet it was. Thank you for being so open and transparent because I know that it's going to help the lives of many who actually hear this. I want to talk about your new book, Our Sympathy with Animals. Um, I'm believing that it was what was happening to you as a teenager that maybe the first line started to develop in your consciousness back then without you even knowing that it would become a book. But what inspired you to write it completely? Yeah, I I really so you know in in 1946 the World Health Organization had defined health as not just the absence of disease but as a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being. And so in medicine we know that our health, our well-being draws from everything in our lives. We know that everything in our lives can affect our well-being. Despite knowing this, medicine has overlooked one crucial influence that has existed since our beginning which is our relationships with animals. And I wanted to change this. So this book is to really look hard at our relationships with animals and to look at really what what do we gain in our well-being when we embrace empathy for animals and what do we lose when we don't embrace empathy animals? What do we lose when we suppress our empathy for animals? So I'm, I'm hoping that this book will show people how empathy and kindness towards animals is so important as in for us as individuals, for us as a society, and that it's 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 the only way we can exist as a species moving forward. It's the only way we're going to survive as a species moving forward. Well, tell us, um, tell us why is animal protection a win-win for everyone? I mean, because you're. I remembered I was driving up from um, D.C. to Miami, and there was a little town that we had to come off of, and what we encountered was like they had these pit bulls and stuff and they were all chained and they looked so vicious. And I thought to myself, why would they train the dog to be that vicious? I know that it's a protection thing. But then you would go up along the way and you see the sweet little dog in a car with her head sticking out like we have a little one called Happy. And she's got her little bow in her head and she's well taken care of and she's in the house and She's just creating so much love in the hearts of everyone that she comes across with. And I remember when we were walking and we passed that little house with that those pit bulls and they were barking and yelling and really harsh. And we were like, oh, my God, we didn't want to get close. But I asked myself, why would those owners make that dog so vicious? And, of course, the conversation is it was for their protection. That's how they protect their homes, that if anybody comes, the dog will warn them. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, what is this? Is this even karma? Do dogs also carry their own karmas? Because happy is a completely different genre. So, anyway, I've asked you basically two questions, but I think I'd like to focus on why is animal protection a win-win for everyone? And do you believe that dogs come with their own karmas? I think in it to the second question, we all mm-hmm. have we all have our individuality, animals and humans, and how we affect one another is um, very much a reflection of how we want to treat one another. So mm-hmm. people who see dogs as nothing but tools, people who see animals as nothing but tools, whether it's for and I will say a lot of pit bulls are trained to be um, fighters in dog fights. So 
that, and people won't necessarily tell you that because it is illegal. So they may say that they're using the dogs for protection. But there are other ways to protect ourselves, ways that don't, mm. uh, ways that don't harm animals, ways that don't right. uh, further stereotype the types of dogs pit bulls can be. Pit bulls can be beautiful, loving dogs. It's just that people have trained them to be vicious. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a circle there. How we treat the animals really does, it reflects back on us in many ways. And the reason why I think animal protection is a win-win is because today, especially, we're seeing so many health repercussions of how we are treating animals, whether it's direct or indirect. We're seeing climate change. We're facing a climate crisis. And one of the biggest impacts, uh, influences on our climate is factory farming, intensive animal agriculture. And that's not good for the animals either. This type of agriculture is horrible for these animals. And it's also horrible for us. We're getting infectious diseases. We're likely going to see a new influenza virus, a new pandemic coming out from these factory farms. We're likely to see further poisoning of our water and our air and our land, as well as warming of our planet. Because studies have shown again and again that factory farming is one, one of the single most important contributors of climate change. We're also seeing that how our, when we cause, when we overuse our land and we encroach upon the wildlife, uh, natural habitats, and we cause species extinction, that's causing ecological unraveling that in turn comes back to hurt us. Ecological mm-hmm. unraveling and climate change is leading to, for example, rise in mosquito-borne diseases like the Zika virus, and that's hurting us. So those are some yeah. some very large public health ways in which how we think about animals, how we see them, how we treat them, and how we exist on this planet, how we want to live, how that impacts not only the animal's well-being but also ours. You're speaking to the choir, Aisha, and if everyone, if you're just joining in our conversation, I'm having a, a beautiful heart-to-heart conversation with Dr. Aisha Akhtar, who got a new book out called Our Empathy, Our Art Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Stories. So I believe this. I believe everything that you've told me. And I even have an interesting question where when I take Happy to her doctor, Aisha, he's a meat eater. And I'll ask uh-huh. him, I don't understand how you can be a veterinarian and you're <laughs> eating meat. And he just looks at me like perplexed, like, you know what? You're one of my patients that I wish would only come once a year. (laughs) But then he would tell me that, you know, all of those things, they talk about how they mistreat animals. It's not true. I've worked on a on one of those factory or those farms with the animals and they're well taken care of and you know they're they're you know the the way the meat comes is really in a different way. And I thought to myself, is that really true? I mean, is there is there a healthy way to grow animals to feed a population of 7 billion people in which nobody feels like they're hungry? Is there a way? First of all, I will say that, unfortunately, veterinarian is what he's telling you is completely false. Uh, animal agriculture, and I visited some personally, some factory farms personally, they are horrendous places. They are horrendous for the animals. They're horrendous for the neighbor, neighbors who live near them, um, who suffer from horrible air quality, suffer from the stench, suffer from their well water being poisoned by the refuse from these factory farms. 
factory farms are horrible and they need to go. Um, as far as um, how can we feed people, you know, the thing is, is that factory farming is was the answer many people believe to feed so many people um, because you're put you're putting animals in increasingly smaller spaces. So it's supposed to be a way of being a way to handle that that demand for meat. But the but we're finding is that it really is problematic. It is a public health threat. It is a threat to our lives. And so that's not the answer. I do believe that we're what we're finding is that we're finding these wonderful new products like um, plant-based products like the Impossible Burger. There's also what's called clean meat, which is growing um, meat products, producing them in the laboratory, which I think is going to be a tremendous boon to our ability to feed our growing population without causing this public health impact and without causing this immense suffering in animals. Fantastic to hear because um, it's hopeful because I know that I look at India, for example, it was 85 or 90% vegetarian. Now it's changed in the last, I'd say, maybe 10 years. They've become pretty much consumers of chicken a lot. Not as much beef, but chicken for sure. And, and that's still a crisis for me to see that population really moving more towards the flavor and the taste of meat. You have traveled around the country, and as you shared, you've seen a wide range of things. And I also hear that there is a lot of experience of empathy that we can experience by being connected to animals, for example. Animals have a very big effect on our lives. Was there someone that you met along the way that actually impacted you to increase your quality of empathy or your empathy as a person? I unfortunately I think I'm at the I don't know if I can get any more empathetic sometimes it seems almost like a little <laughs> problem <laughs> but there were there were definitely stories that impacted me by their intensity and how animals really changed the lives of some of these individuals one was a uh, James Giuliani who was a he was a mobster for the Gambino family and he lived a life of complete violence selfishness he was a raging alcohol and drug addict. And he this is someone who never grew up with animals, never cared about animals, had no desire to connect with animals whatsoever. But he came across an abused dog. And and what happened with this dog and, and I described the story, the stories in the book, what happens with this dog was such a profound change for James. This dog awakened what I believe was this kernel of empathy that was stuck deep down within James. And since meeting this dog and trying to help this dog, James has turned his life around. He has been alcohol and drug-free, and now he devotes his life to teaching children and teaching others kindness and empathy towards animals. He rescues animals. He runs a, a sanctuary for animals. It's amazing. It just this is someone again who you would think would not have that empathy and yet he showed that it exists in all of us. Sometimes it yeah. just needs to emerge at the right time and it was a dog, an abused dog who awakened that empathy in James. Sure. Have you ever wondered to yourself what is it that makes it so hard for us as human beings to be able to find that love and empathy with one another and yet through the eyes of an animal we're able to do so? I think some, sometimes what, what happens 
our relations with animals are much simpler in in a way, right? We they're not complicated like they are with our relationships with each other. We can we can love one another. Like for example, I love my mom. I love my mom, and yet she can tick me off at times, just as I can tick her off. We can annoy each other, but that doesn't happen so much in our relationships with with animals. It's a simpler type of relationship. It's based on just pure trust and understanding and unconditional love. I think that's why it's so much easier for people to feel this connection with animals at times, especially at times when they are facing some of the hardest times in their lives. Uh, we've seen that people who have trauma, who are facing trauma, it seems that's when their their um, connection with animals is even greater. And I think it's because we are looking for that truer simpler type of of being with another person or being with another individual. And Mm -hmm. animals really release that human-generated pressure in our lives. They don't compete with us in the way that other humans do. So the, Mm -hmm. the, the bond that we have with animals and the support that animals can give us is very unique. It's true. It's true. I'm not usually, I've not been a dog lover, nor have I been raised with animals, but Our first dog was kidnapped by the nanny, and her name was Love. But then the second dog that we got, Happy, which is a Havanese, it was just something that I learned along the way. And just to not hurt, I mean, I don't we have not ever been harsh with her. But apparently the the kennel that she came from uh, was a kennel that was very abusive. And even though we got her at nine weeks old, even if I just happened to lift up my hand just to like a big hug, she 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 drops back. I mean, she just comes back with like protection. And I get to see how, you know, when we're abusive to anything, Aisha, it stays in the soul for such a long time that it just needs a lot of love in order for the healing to take place. And animals are said to have an immense healing power that science is only beginning to understand. Are there any thoughts that you might have on this, too? Because I know you outline it in the book as well. Yeah, animals, we we are starting to see how animals can heal us, and it comes back to the fact that they're not humans, right? Thank God for that because they Mm -hmm. are different beings, and their love is unconditional, and we can actually learn empathy from animals. They can teach us empathy, and studies are also showing that Empathy for animals is a very much an extension of our empathy for each other. And we've seen that in studies with prisoners, with inmates, showing that animals can teach them empathy, that can teach them kindness. I think it gets back to the fact that animals are so vulnerable. They're so innocent. They're like babies, you know. And it's, it, it, it can foster in us a sense of protectiveness for these animals when we get to know them. And the studies do show that animals can heal us mentally, can heal us even physically. Studies are showing that animals, the presence of animals can increase our longevity. They can reduce our risk of heart disease, lower our cholesterol levels, you know, lower our blood pressure and our respiratory rates. And so animals can have a very calming effect on us. And I think most people see that, you know, when when you walk through your front door at the end of a very stressful day at work and your dog or your cat or whatever other critter comes out to greet you, Mm -hmm. people just start to feel, you feel your blood pressure lowering and your heart rate lowering. Mm -hmm. You feel a little calmer, right? You just, it helps you step away from that anxiety and pressure of the day, the, the work of the day. 
and we're seeing that can have long-term effects on our health as well. Yeah, life just begins to feel real when you go home and you see them. It's just a beautiful feeling. So um, what are some things that we can do to help our little furry friends? Love your animals. Love your critters, of course, I think, um, and um, recognize that they are individuals and they may not always want to be around us or do the things we want them to do, but that's and just be patient and and to again realize they are individuals with their own minds. And I think the other thing we can do is to think about more more not just our dogs and cats, but all the animals in the world, and to think about how our behaviors, how we live, how we eat, what we wear how we travel, things like that, how that affects other animals, just as we should be thinking about how that affects other humans. And if we keep that in mind and we try to make changes in our lives that are going to improve the lives of others, it will be a benefit to us as well. Oh, wow. Love that. That's great. So listen, I would love to have you at the Meditation Museum. I think what you're offering is really beautiful, and I want you to meet Happy. (laughs) You're going to love her. I, I would love to be there. Yo, please. We're definitely going to arrange something for you to share more about the book, have a book signing here, and to talk more about how we can raise our empathy and learn more about ourselves. Leave us with a website where we can find more information about you and your work. And thank you for joining us on air today on this beautiful day. Thank you so much, Jenna. And your website? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and my website <laughs> is my name. So it's www.aysha. A-K-H-T-A-R dot com. Beautiful. Do you have any upcoming events around the nation's capital? I I, mean, I am doing a lot of book signing and speaking throughout. Um, I will be at the D.C. Veg Fest, August 11th. It's free to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunday, it's a great it's a great event. Uh, lots of great food and speakers, so I'll be there. Uh, I would love to see people there. And Beautiful. I will probably we look forward be to doing seeing you. Sure, thank you. And I'll probably be doing a, um, at the East, uh, there's a book signing event coming up at a book at a, at a bookstore. I'm blanking on the name of the bookstore. But if you go to my website, the information will be there as well. Okay, good. Looking forward to it. All the very best. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care. Beautiful. I just love young ladies who are really building up their stories and narrative, but look from a medical physician into becoming consciously awakened to emote empathy. I mean, just imagine that it's true that when you start to open up your heart and start to give love and you can feel safe with an animal, you begin to recognize who you really are more. You start to see yourself clearer. Think of the health hazards with these factories that keep Pull, you know, pushing out these animals for our consumptions, and we don't even need half of what we're getting. There's got to be another way, my friends. There's got to be another way. And even if you're not a vegetarian yet, please try a meatless Monday. It was started by our friends of um, um, compassionate compassion for animals with Erica Meyer and her friends. Just just go meatless Monday. Ever so often, add a little bit more vegetables to your plate. Ever so often, if you really don't feel like eating something with a soul, just don't. Just don't let the habit just keep moving you there. And something that helped me a lot is that I look at Happy and I just know I'd never, I wouldn't eat her. And I know you might say if there's hell and you know you're you're dying and things are falling apart and you haven't had food for you know three weeks, then maybe Happy might look. No, she wouldn't. 
That would be like eating my mom. I don't want to do that. We can survive on enough, and we're consuming way too much. Wake up, America. Wake up, world. There is another way. There is another way. We can see ourselves differently, and we can see our choices from a different light, and we can bring some more empathy and love to our planet. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Aisha Akhtar, for more information, go to her website at Aisha, A-Y-S-H-A-A-K-H-T-A-R.com, and she's local in the nation's capital if you happen to be in this neck of the woods. I know that we're broadcast to 90 countries, so if you come to Washington, D.C., also feel free to look her up. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. Let's do that. I think it's time for us to be a little bit more loving (laughs) to one another. And stay tuned because I know we're going to be doing a lot of programs at the Meditation Museum. And hopefully Dr. Akhtar will be able to come in too and help out with some work and show her book. And in the meanwhile, guys, really just be kind to one another. We need to have that energetic shift more. All right. Here's People of Love by Sanatam Kaur.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.